say you're a junior or entry-level designer, then you would be focusing more on the process and you would be focusing more on the exploration side of the project. So we'd show many different directions and you would tell why you chose that specific direction and why that made sense. And that would be much more impressive uh, to a hiring manager or a hiring designer that you're actually showing your breadth of thinking and This is Writers in Tech, a podcast where today's top content strategists, UX writers, and content designers share their well-kept industry secrets. Hello and welcome to Writers in Tech. We don't have sponsors for this show, but this podcast brought to you by the UX Writing Hub. This is a platform that I've created for writers in tech, people that want to get into the field of UX writing, content design, content strategy. Maybe if you're designers or if you are product managers or just copywriters or content marketers, whatever, you can just hop on UX Writing Hub and learn everything about product writing, basically how to create better user experience using better communication. So I would like to invite you to do that. Today, I have a very special guest. His name is Jan Holland and is the founder of a company named Case Study Club, which is a pretty cool platform i've been following it for a lot of years like when did you found it like what year 2015 i believe that was 2015 and i think i was on like this company was on my router when i just started out and i remember it which is amazing and now it's became something much bigger than that right yeah that's right so what's the case study club so case study club is well i can take you a little bit back to the beginnings of the story and how it all started. Yeah, so Case Study Club originally started out as a curation platform for UX and product design case studies. And yeah, I was uh, basically an avid collector of case studies. So I was I would go to platforms like Designer News. I don't know if you remember Designer News. Yeah, yeah, like Reddit for designers. Yeah, exactly. And back in the days, it was actually a pretty good platform and it was uh, well moderated it's uh, not like that today unfortunately oh now it's you know it's wild over there yeah yeah <laughs> it is the wild west exactly it is i really don't like when you're about to upload yeah just got it when you're about to upload something like a new story yeah and then like the parameters are like doesn't make sense it's like is it related to apple is it related to a case study is it related to an interview and that's it something like that yeah and it's also very easy to game and spam these days exactly yeah anyhow observed was that a lot of designers were asking questions like what's the best case study for enterprise companies for example or what's the best case studies for healthcare products and what's the Hold best on. case study for this and that. And the thing with the designer news is that when people post their their questions or their their posts and they get all these great replies with these awesome case studies, I would collect them. But after a day or two, the uh, the post would disappear from the front page, right? So it would not be that easy to find. And yeah, so I would collect these case studies and I would put them up on a a simple website, just one page, and I submitted it to Design News, and all of a sudden it was very well received. <laughs> so basically, you curated case studies that disappeared 
from yeah. Designer News. And what platform did you use? I see that your website is on Webflow, right? Which is a web building tool. But was it Webflow from the very beginning? No, actually, it was about the time when I was dabbling a little bit in code because I wanted to understand how websites and web apps were built. So, yeah, so I built that with the yeah, handmade, I guess you would call it. Bootstrap CSS, something like that. <laughs> yeah, probably something like that. Nice. I, yeah. I also had a time where I tried to learn to code. Uh, I took even a front-end course that cost me a fortune. And it was really bad. Or maybe I was really bad. I don't know. One of them. Mm. But now I don't know how to code. And I never did. It's, I found it very difficult, in my opinion. Anyway, I really like the no-code stuff. So Webflow is like the no-code tool, right? You can use Webflow to build your website without necessarily hand-code it. Yeah, I love Webflow and tools like that. That's uh, a lot easier for visual people. And, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So uh, you coded it yourself. You created some kind of a curation of a lot of case studies. Back then, I guess that you worked as a designer, I assume, right? Yeah. So I worked as a UX designer at in an agency, mm -hmm. uh, which I also co-founded actually at the time. So with uh, five other people, it's a local, not an agency, I would call it more like an, a studio, a small studio. Yeah. What's the difference between a studio and an agency? You know, That's a very good question. <laughs> I guess I would call an agency would be a lot larger and you would have multiple divisions, right. I guess. I don't know the exact definition of an agency versus right, a studio. Right, right. Yeah. But in my opinion, you can have like, you know, one copywriter, one UX designer, and voila, you have an agency. <laughs> yeah, yeah. As, yeah, I guess you could say that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so where are you based? Based in Norway. No way. I've been there yeah. once. It was pretty cool. I talked this, to this, like, in this conference that had, like, a whale on the logo. Yeah. Yggdrasil. Is, is that yeah, the name? Yeah, 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 yeah. It was good. It was, like, next to a huge lake, like, fjord. Yeah, I know that. I know that conference is, uh, it's a big uh, conference there in Norway. And uh, I haven't been able to attend, but that's on my agenda for sure. Nice. It, it was yeah. pretty cool. I didn't understand most of the talks because it was in... Norwegian. Norwegian. Okay. <laughs> but but it was nice and friendly and the, the view was cool and the food was great and the people were extremely nice. Yeah. And anyway, so you co-founded a design agency slash studio. Yeah. And that was like your day job? That was my day job, yeah. And your side hustle, side project was the, the case study club, curating like case studies probably, yeah. you know, to each your own each to find like interesting case studies and put all of them in one place. I get mm. that. I did the same with microcopy examples because mm. there, were, there was nothing like this. So I opened a Facebook group and <laughs> that's how the UX writing hub started. Yeah. All right. And okay. So what was the tipping point? So I actually had it on the back burner for quite a while while I was running the agency or the studio full time. So, but I would constantly get these messages and emails asking about reviews of their portfolios or reviews about their case studies. And I sent out this uh, survey asking people what they wanted. And uh, it was an overwhelming reply of uh, a guide to making portfolio, a course on making portfolios. And that's uh, what I did. So I doubled down on that and made, put up a, like a, just a, a quick type form page. Uh, mm -hmm 
or a survey with an actual payment thing built into it. I, I don't know if you you knew this, but in Typeform you can actually put up like a payment capture form as well. Like uh, Stripe or PayPal or something. Yes, yeah, like Stripe. Yes, yeah, so you could connect Stripe to that, nice. which was pr- pretty cool. And uh, I just wrote an email and I. Uh, pointed people to that page and over the, over a weekend i got probably 15 people signing up for that nice. and yeah that was pretty good and i closed that down went on a holiday uh <laughs> or, or f- because this was before christmas and uh, when i came back i went full on with the course back then on building portfolios and uh, yeah that was a pretty good experience and uh, what year are we talking about like what year was it Two years ago, I think. That was mm-hmm. in 2019, 2020, between around that time. Okay, that's cool. So that's I love stories like that, you know, how Salas has become like a full-time thing and amazing. And, and since then, like I've been following the content. The content of the Case Study Club is, uh, is fantastic. You know, you have like uh, the best designers out there, Simon Pan, Tobias van Schneider, people like our that are like big in the industry yeah. that you interview and they give like brilliant tips about building, you know, your UX and your design yeah. case study. All right. So my tip for many people that want to get into the field, they don't have any, you know, experience and, you know, a lot of time I, I tell them and a lot of time they don't like to hear that, but they need to hustle a little bit, you know, they need to find like different problems out there, solve them and build a case study out of it. Mm. And just say something like, it's not a real case study. First of all, do you think it's a good tip? I don't know, like, uh, it's just my tip, but do you think it's it's something worth Yeah, doing? definitely. Yeah, I think it's like uh, anything, you just got to get started. You, you got to, it's like when you uh, start to learn an instrument, for example, a guitar, you need to keep uh, practicing and keep doing it. And uh, the best way to do that is to pick up projects and problems, like you said, that you see and uh, keep working on them. And that's how you improve and get better and even if it's not for a case study it's just at least a good practice for yourself to get better right because when we practice guitar every day for five minutes or ten minutes or one hour we have this uh, muscle and the memory muscle and and, uh, basically you just get better and better and we can't like sit at home for six months and say hey i'm a designer just wait for the opportunity to appear on your doorstep you just have to leave it and be really good at it Exactly. And I've seen a few people do that. So they go through this boot camp or they go through a course and they within that course they have a project that they worked on, but they think that's that they can just put up a portfolio, put in a couple of case studies and wait, like you said, they wait for six months and hope that hope and pray that they'll land a job with that. But in reality, you need to keep practicing. You you can't just stop there. You have to actually show initiative and uh, show that you're into the actual work. And this is also a great thing when you go into interviews to, you can tell the the stories of all the recent projects you worked on. And yeah, I just love hearing people that are really into stuff. And I think uh, hiring managers can see that as well when they interview people you can they can tell that people are really interested in this and yeah doing side projects is a great way to to keep you on the toes i agree and you know what i really don't like you have like a lot of boot camps out there and all of them have like the same assignments and then you see like portfolios with the exact same assignments in between different candidates 
And I guess that I'm not the only one that's noticing it. And people that hiring, like when they see like the same like names of projects and stuff from the those people boot camps, I guess like it's pretty bad, you know, for the first mm. screening process, right? Yeah, I've heard, I've seen that too. And I think that the best way to go around that is to to do more projects and keep going. And I don't think so. If you have, say, you have, if you're applying for a job, it's a, a given. You know, if you have 10 portfolios that have their the exact same case studies in them, and then you have someone else, like an 11th person coming in with a totally different portfolio, and yeah, they have different case studies, you would obviously stand out from all the rest. Exactly. So except from, you know, keep practicing and so on, do you have like a formula for like, how should a case study should be structured? I guess you get that question all the time, I assume. There's... I guess you could say a formula, but the boring answer is that it depends. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so in terms of a formula, I would say you'd have, obviously you have the, for case studies specifically, you have the problem and you have the, the process and you have the solution and outcomes, impact metrics and stuff like that. But I would go a little bit deeper and say that it depends on what level you are at so if you're an entry level designer you wouldn't you wouldn't be expected to have outcomes or impact metrics that you can show and similarly if you go to a senior designer then you'd be expected to have that so your case study would be a little bit different than if you're a senior or if you're an entry level right mm -hmm. and what i can say is that if you are applying for jobs and if you go into the descriptions even, I think it's very much highlighted there what's expected of you and that should sort of be showcased in the case studies. And say you're a junior or entry-level designer, then you would be focusing more on the process and you would be focusing more on the exploration side of the project. So we'd show many different directions and you would tell why you chose that specific direction and why that made sense and that would be much more impressive uh, to a hiring manager or a hiring designer that you're actually showing your breadth of thinking and, and a breadth of work right if you're a senior designer coming in with a case study then the tables are a little bit different. I don't know if that's a, a word, but I just made that up. But anyway. The tables. Yeah, the table. <laughs> the tables are a little bit different. Yeah. I think you can say that. The tables are turned. Yeah, but the tables are different. The thing is that then you wouldn't be expected to have that much process. Uh, you would be expected to have I guess outcome, impact, right? yeah, outcome and impact and specifically impact metrics and strategy and stuff like that if you're a lead designer for example then you would be focusing more on how you manage stakeholders how you manage uh, the people and stuff like that so it depends but i guess you you have the answer there so it depends on what level you're at and what you should be focusing on in your case studies all right so if you're just getting started so showing your process show that you know what you're doing or trying to know what you're doing. I know it's yep. like you have the imposter syndrome most of the time when you just started, so you think you don't know anything. Yeah. So uh, you show your process, you show that you know how to do maybe basic wireframes, that you know how to tackle, you know, problems and simplify mm. them and create better user experience eventually. And if you're more senior and you're applying for a senior position, you need to show the impact that you had before on different businesses, companies, yeah. and so on. And there isn't a magic formula 
your designers, your writers, get creative, mm. build something that, that will blow their mind. We trust you to do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and another thing I can just, I want to touch on there is that you see designers go and compare themselves to others, right? So you would go look for inspiration and uh, they would pull up a case study like Simon Pants, for example. And that wouldn't make any sense for an entry-level designer to have that kind of case study. So you wouldn't want to go and mimic senior designers' case studies and work because that's not expected of you at all. So that's just a thing I wanted to mention. Yes, I understand. And I definitely get how, you know, you're just starting out to say, wait, who is the best designer in the world? Who is the best content designer in the world? Let's just copy their mm. template their case study and then you do that uh, but it doesn't make sense yeah focus on on the work that you're working on it's really easy like if you have like an app that you're using every day that is not a social media app i don't know like all of those progress trackers project management mm. even commute apps go there see if there is some issue over there something that you know you think the user experience is pretty bad document it take a screenshot whatever and just redesign it, recreate it, make sure that it's nicer, make sure it makes more sense, even though you don't have the full context that the product team that actually created it mm. have, it will probably make sense to do Yeah, something like that. In my opinion, that's how I started, by the way. And you looked for problems that would... I haven't looked. They found me, you know. I, you, yeah. <laughs> I went to this <laughs> commute app named Moveit. Are you familiar with it? Moveit? No. It's maybe it's really famous in Israel, I guess. Anyway, so I, there was this issue over there that I was on a bus and I couldn't know while I'm on the bus, like, what is the line that I'm passing? Because there was like five different options. It, might, it could be 62, but it also could be five. And, you know, I was on the bus and I couldn't identify like what exactly line did I took eventually. And that was a problem when I wanted to, you know, to go outside of the station uh, because line number five was going to one part of the city and line number 62 were going to another part of the city. So I, I was very, in Israel, there's a term named chutzpah. Are you familiar with this term? Mm, no. Chutzpah is like being extremely rude. <laughs> and so I was rude. I took a screenshot and I kind of, I used Photoshop for it. So I said like, this is a problem. This is how I would solve it. And I just like, took the JPEG file or PNG, whatever, and added the director of design of Moveit, which was a big company back then. It was sold by for like a billion dollars. And I sent it to him via Facebook. And then, and that was rude of me, you know, just taking someone's work and, and thinking that I can do better uh, without any experience. Uh, but like, I was fortunate enough that it was like kind. And he said mm. like, oh, that's a... Uh, interesting point of view why don't you come to lunch in our headquarters and let's talk about it and i was thrilled you know someone that i admire in, from the industry like noticed me gave me honest feedback invited me for lunch and yeah so i considered that action to be a bit rude and if you're going to do something like that you might even think oh i can't do that it's it's not polite but you know it worked. But by the way, for one that did work, I have like 20 stories of something mm. extremely similar that didn't work. That's cool. And yeah, I've heard actually a couple of other stories uh, like that where, so I don't know if you're familiar with the Jason, I think it's Jason One. 
I think his name is. He did the Apple case study. Ah, that's that's one. I, I was so jealous looking yeah. there. Like I got rejected out of Apple. Yeah, so I yeah exactly. I talk about it in our course. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah so th that's a, a similar story. And I think you can you can actually create your own luck in that way, in that sense. So if you spot a problem like that and you contact them like you did, I think you can get lucky and uh, get a break. But yeah. Yeah, that's a great story. Like this person that uh, was rejected by Apple, he did a case study, redesigned Apple Music. He got like millions of views. And then yeah. he did like a follow-up article one year later. Yeah. that says like, this one article changed my life. And it's, it said like how Apple approached him later and Google approached him later and a lot of the big companies wanted him to work for them as a designer. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing Only because story. of it an article <laughs> <laughs> well yeah he, he put a lot of work into the the case study and i think he worked for it for about six months or something like that wow uh, full time on on that specific case but yeah that's well, uh persistence it is but you yeah. know when you don't have a job and you are filled with talent so yeah. what else do you have to do yeah <laughs> <laughs> very cool all right so what's your plans for the future with case study club and what would you like to do? Yeah, that's a good question. So I have uh, multiple directions I, I can go in and I'm looking at those. But right now I've got uh, a community that I'm um, running on the back end of uh, Case Study Club. So we have Case Study Club is uh, a website and uh, we also have a free newsletter where we curate case studies every week, right. every Monday. Yeah, exactly. So you can start your morning off with uh, a few fresh case studies. <laughs> <laughs> That's nice. Yeah. And on the back end of that, we also have a membership or a community with people that are looking to level up their careers. And we actually have a few content designers and we have a, few, a couple of UX writers in there as well. And so what we do is we host regular AMA. So as a community, we come together and we decide on what people we want to bring in, what we want to learn. We have critique sessions and we run those pretty much like you would in a design team. We have fireside chats with members where they come on. So to tell you a little bit of a story, so we had Alex a few months ago. He So he came on and that was during the hiring process. So he went through, I think it went through five or 10 interviews back then. And he sort of documented everything and shared it with uh, everyone inside. And that was amazing because we got so much insight. And it also it helped him to share along the way what he did. So he spoke about it loud and he could become more clear about his own process in the interview process. And what he did, he came on, he practiced his pitch, he refined his pitch. And one of the things he saw was that in, in the interviews, people were asking about, okay, so where's the user research or where's the user testing on, on, on this? What did the, that amount to? And he actually didn't have any user uh, testing on that specific uh, project or any project at all because he came from a company that didn't have, they didn't value or I guess they didn't value the research part uh, of the UX, right? Mm -hmm. And so in the beginning, he tried to to fake it. He would almost, so he would go into the project. He would, he would make it seem like he did user testing on that. 
And mm-hmm. that's also a question I get all the time is that you, if people come from companies that don't have user research, research they don't do use, yeah, they don't do re- user research, then, okay, what should I do? Should I fake it? Should I m- improve my case study and, and make it uh, better? So you can't really go into old project. You, I guess you could do it, but uh, a better tip for you would be like Alex did. So he noticed this and the hiring people could see through that. So they saw through that and I think he went through yeah five or 10 interviews and it didn't land any offers. But then he shifted his strategy. He, he, he said, okay, I'm going to, instead of trying to fake it, I'm going to tell the truth here. So he did that. He said, instead of, instead of faking it, he, he said, okay, listen, here's what I would do instead if I had the opportunity to actually do user testing and so on. And that completely changed the game for him because mm-hmm. also by not sitting in the interview and not being honest, he would have more confidence in himself because he was telling the truth. And I think that goes a long way in interviews if you're truthful and if you're more confident, obviously that that helps. So after Alex did this, he I think he went through five more interviews and he got three offers. Nice. That. Yeah. Great insight. Yeah. And, and sharing this with the rest of the group live while he was going through it, that was uh, hugely beneficial for everyone as well. Wow. That's amazing. Like I met with your members. We had the, uh, a writing workshop for them once. Yeah. Yeah. That was awesome. Well received as well. Oh, really? Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I went really fast over there. Like I, I had so much things to say and yeah. I, I just went through it. And then when looking back, I said, maybe I should go a bit slow because I packed it in a way that it was filled with information. So I hope that like uh, they got enough uh, value out of it. Yeah, I think sort of put on a spot like that in the 10 minute, 15 minute time frame where we did the breakout sessions. That was really good. And people uh, seem to love that. So this is the next exercise we're doing in our five hours workshop and okay. not in like the one hour workshop. Yeah. So most of the time they have like more time. We have this mirror board and breakout rooms. Then people go into writing sessions. Then we go back. They do present their stuff. Then we have some critique. It's a really fun concept. I haven't seen it anywhere yet, but I guess we, we will see more of those soon because that's a really great way to run a, mm. a workshop. Like I guess like, like, I don't think I invented it. I think people are doing it, right? Mm. Anyway. That was cool, and it was cool to meet with them. So uh, you said that you you have the memberships going on, and uh, yeah, what's the future holds for you personally? Like, where where would you like to be? Yeah, personally, yeah, I love the the craft of design, and I love entrepreneurship as well. So if I can combine those, I would be in a very happy place. <laughs> <laughs> would you like to build your own product one day? Yeah, that would be amazing. So. I can tell you a little bit about my plans for sure. So my hopes and dreams right now is to have this case study club be a sustainable place where Oops. where we can help people, but also where it's a platform that can sustain me. When So my hopes and dreams is to, like you said, build a product one day because uh, that's what I love doing. And I've loved doing that since I was a, a kid. Uh, so I can go back to when I was a kid and I built stuff all the time, not uh, only digitally, 
but also f- like building things. So just holding things in, in my hands and it's been created out of my own mind. That's just a, a great experience. And it's fun. Yeah, it is. And the same goes for products, digital products. Yeah. So that's the craft and then entrepreneurship. I guess that comes from my mom. She's she's a hairdresser, but she's been working. She, she had her own saloon for as long as I can could remember when I was a kid. And I saw that she was hustling all the time. And that was really I'm inspiring. You, hairdresser is a good business. This yeah. is a good business. It is. There is like, is. Uh, you're not going to run out of job. That's for sure. And you can get, I didn't knew that. It's new to me. But that's a good business because you can get a lot of money for each transaction because there are like so many wild haircuts out there. Like not wild haircuts, but like hair procedures that you do that can cost like a lot of money to people. Yeah, she really hustled. And what she did when she made enough money that she actually took one day off uh, a week where she could yeah, take care of her family, take care of everyone. And that was really nice. So she didn't want more. So she wanted, I guess she wanted more freedom, right? And that's also what I'm, what I'm looking for uh, with this uh, freedom to, to make products and freedom to do the things I want to do. <laughs> that's really cool. I also want to do with the UX Funding Hub something like that. You know, we're currently building also a product and uh, I'm building it myself. And I had to make a lot of time to do that. And it's fun. I want to build a product that is like going to change stuff and the way people learn and stuff. So what your product would do when you will have the time to create it? Oh, that's a good question. I have uh, a thousand ideas, but I'll try not to think about it too much because then I will get too excited and uh, just (laughs) jump into it. But yeah, (laughs) (laughs) so right now I'm trying to contain myself and I'm focusing on, yeah, it it is. Do you write all of your ideas? If I write them, yes, I do write them. Yeah. So in terms of writing, that's actually something I've picked up uh, in the last five years. Mm -hmm. And before that, I just told myself that I wasn't a writer and that obviously turned me into a non-writing person. But then I shifted shifted my mindset and I said, okay, yeah, I'm actually a writer. And I started (laughs) writing. Everyone have that that aha moment yeah. when they think oh wait so i can talk that means that i can and i can think okay that means that i can write yeah everyone yeah. can write no but i ask if you write your ideas for your the product that you would like to create yes i do write them down and i have a a list of i don't know how many ideas but it's it's probably a few hundred and i also have wow. a yeah i also have a, a folder uh, on dropbox uh, where i have probably I don't know, close to 50, 100 projects that I've started that didn't go anywhere. Just, you know, the first thing you do is to go yeah, and yeah. Re- maybe re- register a domain and stuff like that. But, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know that. Have you heard about Google's graveyard? Google's, no. What was it's that? It's a website. Check it out. Google graveyard. And it's all of the, it's called Killed by Google, sorry. Google's graveyard. Oh. And it's all, all of the product that Google started and then had to kill. <laughs> oh. And you have like hundreds of products that Google started. Like, I don't know, Google Plus is the most famous ones, but they have hundreds and hundreds of products that they've killed. Wow. And all of us have our own kind of graveyards, you know, product that we kind of started, then we had to kill them. We feel a bit shame about it, that we never continue doing it. I feel proud about some of them, because if I would continue doing them, 
I would be in not in a great place today. <laughs> mm. So you have a list of ideas. So what's the most favorite one that you have right now? Yeah, the most favorite, the one I'm most excited about now is as I try to think about ideas that's related to Case Study Club as well, mm -hmm. uh, because I think that would help get it off the ground. I agree. Yeah. So the most interesting right now. So have you heard of Open AI? Yes, the GPT three thing. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Created so, by Elon Musk originally. They yeah. give you GPT three access. GPT three to those who are not familiar is like the AI writer. I use them myself. Yeah. Yeah. I use this cool. app called Jarvis. Yeah, that, uh, write for me like blog posts and stuff. Exactly, and uh, it, that yeah, it's like a great tool. It's and crazy. I'm writing a novel right now with with Jarvis. Yeah, <laughs> it's wild. It's it's absolutely crazy, and I have access to the the beta as well. So I've been nice. trying to yes, I've been trying to to build up so you can actually feed it. So on, on top of the actual AI, you can feed it your own stuff, and that will sort of train it. Oh. Mm. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, How can so I get access to it? That's crazy. Yeah, so the tip there, I think I listened to a podcast actually where I got this tip. So on Twitter, uh, the founder of or the, the CEO of AI, OpenAI, he had a tweet saying that if you want access immediately, you can email me directly saying what you want to use it for. What? That's yeah. crazy. So I did that and I uh, explained the use case and I got access. So... Do you need to know how to code in order to do that? No, so they have a sandbox in there that you can feed feed it with with your own copy and your own content. Um, wow, that's then, amazing. Yeah, so you don't need to code anything at all. But uh, if you want to turn it into a prototype, then you would probably need to, to know some code. But uh, you can test out the actual the AI inside in their sandbox, which is pretty cool. What was the project that you would like to create on the, yeah, yeah, the yeah. OpenAI? So the project, so there's a couple of projects. Uh, one is to do, so you could do, for example, workshops with an AI. So you would have, you would feed it with personas, mm -hmm. right? And if you feed an AI with a persona, so the AI would take on the role of the persona. Really? Yeah. So you would feed it with the personality. Did it and work with like the sandbox and stuff? Yeah. Oh, right. With Jarvis, you can say, I want this text to sound like, like Elon Musk. Yeah. Or I want this text to sound like, uh, I don't know, Tony Robbins. Yeah. And you can give it like a short, like if you do a, like a proto persona, you can feed it a proto persona with a name, with a personality, with the traits. So he could be a bus driver, 50-year-old bus driver, for example, and he would uh, pick that up. And That's uh, crazy. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah. And so, it, so building this workshop tool that can, like, you fill it with persona to help you to, like, design. Yeah. yeah. Doing, like, a design workshop. Exactly. That that could be one thing. Another thing is, obviously, case studies, writing case studies. That's another thing. So you could feed it uh, just uh, an outline, and then it will write. write it for you. Yeah. That would be more challenging, though. Yeah. It will. You know, it can't, I don't know. To be honest, I don't know. That's crazy. I don't know. I'm I'm using the plot creator tool of Jarvis, mm -hmm. and I'm telling them I'm writing a story about like the borderlines between humans and robots and how it's going to get like uh, the same thing in the future, or or how we're not going to identify where human ends and ro robots begins. Mm. And I'm doing it with a robot. <laughs> I'm doing it with <laughs> OpenAI. Yeah. So, and and then people ask me like, 
So who writes it, you or the robot? And I'm saying, that's exactly what I'm asking. That's the question yeah. of the book, you know? That's the novel that's in my drawer, and I'm not sure it's never going to see the light. I don't know. Maybe I should do, like, this uh, crowdfunding stuff and then publish it. Yeah. Uh, but for now, it's just for me. That's cool. Yeah, man. Open Eye, AI, it's the shit. And uh, thank you for sharing it with me. And maybe I will try also to get access to it. It's pretty Yeah, it's, it's a good uh, sandbox they have there. It's so nice talking to you. Likewise, you all. Nice. And we have uh, the last question, which is, like, how do you think we should name this episode? that's a tough one don't want to put you on the spot here yeah you know we can go back and forth communication afterwards like and edit it but yeah that's a good question so from the top of my mind maybe when the robots take over the world <laughs> <laughs> that's only the, the last 10 10 uh, 10 minutes like yeah we can talk about we talk we did talk a lot about like building a case study yeah but then yeah. maybe people will stay on for the the for topic. the robot stuff. Yeah, yeah. When the robots take over the world. <laughs> or case studies and robots. Everything you want to know about case studies and robots. Yeah. <laughs> but it's not everything. There is so much to talk. We, we need to do a follow-up episode. Yeah, that would be great. All right. Yeah, thank you so much. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, thank you. I enjoyed it as well. That's about it. Let's stay in touch. People follow the Case Study Club newsletter every Monday. Yeah. Sign up twice. <laughs> no Thank sign up you. one so it wouldn't yeah. be like uh, count as double Yeah, <laughs> and, and that's about it I'm going to see you soon probably somewhere I yeah. hope in person one day that's about it thank you Jan. cool thank you ciao thank you everyone for joining another episode of Writers in Tech brought to you by the UX Writing Hub look us up on Google join our free course and maybe one day you could become UX Writers if you will invest the time and efforts needed. It's not going to be easy, but we promise we'll do all of our efforts to help you get there. And if you need some help with your case studies, talk to Jan. And that's about it. See you next time. Bye.